Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music Is Not A Genre, the interview edition. This is interview edition number 24. It's also season four, episode 35. I'm doing this very special introduction because, uh, as you may have heard from two weeks ago, this is the conclusion, the second hour of my interview with Bridget Hogan, which was going so well I couldn't bear to stop it at only one hour. So here it comes, part two of my interview with Bridget Hogan. You're blowing my brain up. Uh, let's <laughs> no! I mean, here's it. I have, I have three things that I need to say because of everything that you have said. And, and one just jumps off of the idea of, and you've touched on this a few times, being who you are, you know, and interpreting and the uh, boxes and new music is, you know, someone writing for you. And I think that's one of the reasons why very early in my life, I decided to create my own music was yeah. because I knew that even though I could interpret other music, where I fit wasn't quite exactly what anybody wanted. So I yeah. had to write for myself. And coincidentally, you said something about taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that when mm -hmm. you were talking just a couple minutes ago. Those of you who have been watching these interviews, and I mean watching, not listening, because the, the audio version doesn't have this, but the video version has a theme song. And that theme song is a song I wrote called Sing Out, which has to do with just expressing yourself and being who you are. And it came from a phrase that my wife would say as a joke, which is a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that is a repeated phrase in, in the song that starts this interview. So it, that's just a, like this amazing coincidence of connection that has happened a dozen times in this interview already. And, and we often agree. We often, yeah. <laughs> we often yeah. agree. <laughs> now, yeah. And now the second thing I think is even more important, which is that I haven't really had to shed light on or, or, or extrapolate on much of what you've said which I often do in these interviews, which to me shows how much of a teacher you are, because you don't just make a statement. You explain your statement, you give examples. And, and to, you know, for me to sit back and say, oh, I, I'm going to take a note. I'm going to have to say this. And then you say, and I'm like, well, my job's done. You're making it very easy. Uh. You know, and, and that leads me to the most important thing, which is, uh, we, we have time in the interview. We're not done yet, but okay. the beautiful thing about what this interview is that we just, you in particular, you, you, you have so much to say and, and, and so much of it has been so amazing that I didn't even get to my second question, Sorry. which is no, that's wonderful. Which is who are you? Tell, tell people your story. I want to know where you come from and a little bit about, you know, uh, your, periods of life and then what you've done recently especially including the one woman show you talked about and things like that but gets to tell people your story all right well i mean here's the nutshell version um you know as i've already mentioned some of this has already come out right i i grew up in a small town uh my parents are jim and heather hogan i say their name because i am uh, unbelievably uh proud of them both um he was my father was a chemical engineer who often worked in management. He is a create. I'm going to tell. I'm going to say what they really are. He is a creative problem solver and professional communicator. He is a bridger of people. Hmm. That is who my father is. My mother is. There's only one word for her. She is a teacher, and this is why I hesitate to say teacher. I'm very proud that I'm a teacher. I'm just not her. 
She is a teacher. It is a vocation. She has been retired for years. She's still a teacher to her core, largely first grade, but she taught everything and everyone. And she continues. She is a leader and a teacher, and she is the quietest, most introverted human you could ever meet until someone is in need. (laughs) Um, And then she is sort of the example of leadership. So they are both incredible. Uh, I have so a teacher and an engineer. This is all you need to know about my parents. A teacher and an, an engineer raised my older sister, Erin, who is a professional novelist and an opera singer. <laughs> so that was my household. That tells you everything about love and acceptance and everything you needed to know. Um, my sister is uh, the greatest writer you haven't read yet. She is um, she is uh, a, a she does what I could never do. She works in private. Um, she works alone with no gratification and no yay and no, you know, as the composers that I work with do where I get that applause or I love you, Miss Hogan, or whatever I get. I get that feedback. I run on feedback. She does not. So the confidence that is there in my older sister is, is really uh, something. So those are my sort of three heroes. Um, I grew up in a musical household, but not a classical musical household. So again, I mentioned Anne-Marie and John Denver and Peter, Paul and Mary, long trips for Peter, Paul and Mary and Michael Jackson and the Beatles. I mean, my dad loves the Beatles. And, um, um, you know, they say whatever Beatles you like tells you about people. Okay. So like my dad likes Abbey Road and my mom likes the White Album. So there's your, there's who they are, right? There's how they think. Um, I'm a lot like them both. Uh, Anything good about me came from them. Anything that I've had to work on came from life experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up very, very close to my grandmother, who I call Nanny. Uh, She is no longer with us, but she lived a good, long, wild life. She was the best baker, and I have an obsession with food. Um, Because of her, I love to cook. Um, Don't mind telling you, I'm really, really good at it. It's a huge part of my creative process, when I get stuck at the piano or I get stuck on what to do with the student, I usually make something. I usually make food. Um, I might not always consume it. I might though, which can be another issue, but, um, but I usually feed people um, as a way. And, and she was incredible. And, um, and that's what happened. She didn't know very much about opera, but she loved it. Uh, My grandmother, my nanny liked the finer things in life. And she wanted us to have them. She's very close to Aaron and I, her, her grandchildren. And she and I were best buddies because she retired and looked after me right when my mom was going back to work when I was little. So I was quite spoiled. I had full on nan attention and we watched uh, PBS and we listened to the CBC, the Canadian Broadcast Corporation Back when the CBC did value classical music and had classical music, that has since changed, sadly, and had classical music on the radio. And that's it. I learned by osmosis. Um, I was kind, I was very intelligent. I, I don't, I mean, people are like shy about saying that, but I think as a woman, it's important that my lady, uh, particularly my young women singers hear me kind of own that. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty smart cookie. I'm used to being sort of smartest kid in the room. So I didn't quite have some discipline, typical gifted kid stuff where maybe, maybe I could have gotten 95, but I uh, handed it in two hours late, you know, late or whatever, stayed up all night and did it. Um, decided to go into sing. I was trumpet player, played the piano, quit everything. Um, went into singing at 18. I had a great teacher named Lorna Brain who still lives in the small town of Curtis, Ontario, Canada. She had a wonderful career and is an amazing opera singer. She is still teaching. Um, Lorna looked at me and said, the one thing that every kid needs to hear, wow, you have a beautiful voice. That is the most powerful phrase. You have a beautiful voice. And, you know, when she said it, she didn't just mean you have a beautiful voice and you can sing whatever. She meant you have something to say. You have a beautiful voice. You have something to say. and. I lied and said I had a year of lessons. I didn't got into schools. 
I mean, I mean, seat of my pants. I wouldn't recommend this, by the way. Anyone listening at home, don't do this. Um, seat of my pants. Got into school. I already told you, you know, I went from one school to another. I would talk more about Stephen Henriksen, who is a voice care specialist. And this would, it's interesting how the pieces, I was given everything I needed and they synthesized later. Um, uh, Stephen Henriksen had a wonderful career, very notably in, in the Canadian version of the Phantom of the Opera for many years. Um, he, you know, I saw my first opera at the Detroit uh, Opera House at the Michigan, it was Michigan Opera Theater. It's now Detroit Opera, still an incredible company. Um, I saw my first opera there and Stephen Henriksen was Alcindoro. It was La Boheme. Um, and he was, you know, he was older then. He played this part and he got us tickets and we went and we were, I was mesmerized. I couldn't believe that that, con- that that man would give me the time of day, much less teach me, especially leaving what was a toxic situation. He believed in me 210%. He, teachers are supposed to teach you once a week. He taught me every day. As often as I wanted to learn, he was there. He is still there. I could call him now and he would give me the time of day and tell me what I needed to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a forever teacher. When I think about how to be there for my students, um, he often comes to mind. So he, he really, uh, I won't get into it, but you know, you're a different kid. You're an unusual child. I think I'm neurodivergent. I do think differently. I have a bit of an outsider in that way. Mm-hmm. And um, he made me included. And I think that that didn't just save my career. I think it, it saved my life. Mm-hmm. And I would say that about him any minute, any, any time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, I know the power of a good teacher because I've had them. Um, I went on to be an Elmer Eisler singer. For those of you that don't know, I'm very, very proud that I got into that. Uh, it is the best choral ensemble in Canada. And in Canada, choral culture and choral music is no joke. It is a big deal, almost bigger than opera there. And I was thrilled. Uh, I really built my skills. Lydia Adams is still um, their conductor. And, and she gave me some wonderful opportunities um, on tour. And I was delighted to be with them for a year and to teach and to perform with opera and concert in Toronto and to do all kinds of things, living at mom and dad's. And it became clear to me, although I was performing, um, I won a, I won a competition, which really helped me out a lot. That was really validating. And I went to the Czech Republic because of that and sang there. I went to Rome and sang my, my first role, which was Pamina in Die Zauberflöte, which um, is my favorite opera to this day. I love it. It's a very spiritual experience for me. And just go see the Magic Flute, guys. Go see it in any way you can. I could spend hours talking to you about the Magic Flute. I won't. Um, and and uh, then I understood that there was more to do. There was more work to do on my voice. Um, and I had patched, you know, I came to all of this very late and I patched together knowledge and I made what I, I call the second, the best decision of my career was going to the University of Windsor. The second best decision of my career was going to the Manhattan School of Music. I moved to New York. I went to the Manhattan School of Music. I loved my two years there. I know there are mixed feelings. It was very expensive. Um, that is tough. I studied with Joan Patton O'Diarnell, who is one of the great, uh, bel canto specialists that type of singing italian repertoire she totally got me moving into a different direction gave my voice more room um she's an incredible influence and when i think back on her i don't think i understood her fully as a young singer because she was such a diva you know and lovingly to this day students all impersonate joan you know the the scarf and the and, and she's just larger than life in all the best ways. But it's the only example. It's not my style, but she talked. She used her voice in the way she uses it technically as an opera singer. And it's a real example of living the art form. And that was her way. And I hope she takes, if she hears this, Joan, I love you very much. If she hears this, I hope she takes this kindly. I'll never forget having a lesson at her apartment. 
And she says, have you ever seen my home? And I said, no. And she said, you'll love it. It's like walking into La Traviata. And she wasn't wrong. (laughs) It was an Italian opera set. And she lived it. There's a commitment to voice and art form. I had seen in Stephen in another way, in a kindness, in a fatherly way. Joan was a little bit more larger than life, something I'd never seen before, but a commitment to that art form, to Italian opera, to a way of life, to a way of singing that I think I'm only starting to understand now as I teach. And I give her a great deal of credit um, for some of, specifically all of her students can sing high notes and can pianissimo can come down in, in sound to a dime to a thread of sound. And so can I, and thank you, Joan, for that. That's a hallmark. We all called it the JPY. Joan Patton Everyone calls it the JPY, whether they studied with her or not. Oh, there's the JPY. Hmm. Um, notably, you know, Janae Bridges was a, a, is, who's doing extremely well these days, was a student of hers. Anthony Rothkastanzo just won a Grammy for his portrayal in Akhenaten. And, and uh, she is such a huge part of his career as well. So shout out to Joan. In between Steve and Joan, I studied with a guy named Gary Rallier. And I'm not going to talk. Gary will understand that I'm not going to talk too much about him because I don't want to get all emotional again. But Mm -hmm. Gary swoops in at some of the lowest times in my life and says, and he's really quite a bass. And he's the best voice I've ever heard in my life. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, I almost forgot how great you were, kid. And everything's okay. Everything's okay. He can make everything okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, a technique like nobody's business. Um, a talent like like you've never heard. He's a Canadian icon. Uh, he de- he is a conscientious objector. Was a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War. So his career didn't bring him into the American circle. His son John Relier, though, is certainly well known here, um, and and doing incredibly. Uh, incredibly great work and is an incredible artist in his own right and a wonderful singer, um, wonderful human. Just finishing, um, just just finishing uh, Don Carlos at the Met as the Inquisitor most recently. So that family has been a part of, of my life. And then I moved on. I stayed in New York. Uh, at the time, I met a very talented musician who was the chorus master at New York City Opera. And I, my first job out of school was at New York City Opera. And I met him and we got along really well as the story goes and I married him. So I stayed and uh, he continues to be uh, an exquisite chorus master and pianist. Uh, we're no longer married, but um, Chuck uh, Prestonari is now, I believe still, I hope still for their sake, on faculty at uh, Indiana University mm-hmm. and um, continues to make music there. And he has had an amazing career as, as a chorus master as well and taught me a great deal about the repertoire that I would end up singing. Um, certainly an expert in Verdi repertoire, which is something that really speaks to me um, and, and really helps my voice to develop and bloom. So uh, we parted company a few years ago that was difficult. I'm like super Catholic. So it was difficult in all the ways that it was Catholic. It was difficult because it was a difficult relationship. Um, and it was difficult because uh, you can be a musical genius, but as a woman, sometimes you marry a man who's a musical genius, who's a bit older than you, and that will go by the wayside. So, you know, did I make it on my own or did everybody know my husband and like him? Mm-hmm. that has that has been questioned of me every step of the way and I did fall into that trap of trying to prove myself which is baloney um turns out I stayed on at City Opera long after he left and did just fine and um yeah and and it's now New York City Opera exists in a very different way it I, I realize that it still exists but that New York City Opera that I that really was good to me um Robin Thompson was there and then George Steele was there and then they had to declare bankruptcy. And so they are a different company now, Um, but they are still, they are still working and trying to put good opera out there. So, you know, Michael Capasso has taken over that company and I wish him all the very best. Um, And there are some great artists singing for them now. Uh, So that was sort of my first gig. Um, my life took me out West for a little bit and I worked um, on the West coast and, and had 
some things to do with San Diego Opera, which I watched that almost closed down and uh, they saved it. It was kind of neat. And David Bennett is there now, a singer. And I'm just going to do a shout out. Singers running opera companies is a great thing. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Uh, I, and and it's, it's new. It's like singers were taught, like, shut up, do what the pianist says, do what the, you know, the conductors are all piano players or violinists or, you know, you did mm -hmm. singers conducting singers running companies. Wow. Yeah. We know Beverly Sills did it, but it was still really rare when she did. David Bennett is running a company. Christine Gerke is running a company. Holy smokes. One of the greatest <laughs> dramatic sopranos of our time is running the Michigan o Detroit Opera now. It was Michigan Opera Theater. I have trouble with the name change, but I'm working on it. Um, you know, so that was great. And I got to see that work and I came back and then I did something after my divorce. I did something I never, ever thought I would do. I'd always taught. I've taught. I've taught private voice lessons for 20 years. I'm, you know, I love it. But I never, ever thought I'd go in a classroom. I hated school. Oh, so, so, so much. <laughs> I hate school. I hate it. I hate everything about school, especially high school. And I didn't really have a teacher that I respected. I had a few that I liked, but they weren't equipped to teach. I, you know, I, I went to a small, a small school board, interesting high school. Uh, not much of an arts program, not a good experience. I'll spare you that. And I went into a school and I thought, how am I going to do this? I need a job. I need a job. My marriage is, wasn't over then, but was falling apart. I'm not going back to the West coast. I'm staying in New York. This is where my friends are. This is where my life is. I had a gig with the New York city ballet. I had, I had this one woman show. Its premiere was in 2015. This is when this is happening. I was like, I have got to hold my ground and do this. I'd come back from Europe and I was going to hold my ground and do this. And two days a week, I started working at this, this magical little place. And um, I think I wasn't prepared for how much it was going to make me a better artist. Hmm. I think I was not prepared for uh, to become a much better person. Um, it, those kids made me a better person. And everything that I thought that I was missing, uh, it turned out I had. I was very sad that I didn't have children. It didn't work out. I didn't mm -hmm. have kids. Mm -hmm. And now I had 300. Oh. Um, I was very sad that, you know, I didn't know what kind of impact I was going to make. You know, having sort of followed my husband around, I worked. I was I was grateful to be working, but I didn't know whether I was sort of eclipsed. And, you know, no one can eclipse you in the eyes of a child. Like all of a sudden I was Miss Hogan. I've never been Miss Hogan before. Aww. And it was really interesting. Um, um, I was practicing every day and all day because I was teaching all day. And it was only two days a week. And my, my life continued. I, I had the opportunity to sing for the ballet a few times with the opportunity to continue on um, with New York City Opera. I had the, the opportunity um, to go home and do some things with Oshawa Opera. Great opportunity um, for a teacher that I studied with after my time in the Manhattan School of Music. Um, Heidi Skoke, who I mentioned earlier, uh, runs a wonderful um, uh, music program and and professional company called Resonance Opera. She's run it for years in the Cleveland area, and and I had an opportunity to explore new rep and and go there. And she really kind of took a chance on me in very new repertoire, and that was quite a gift. Uh, did some gender bending, sang tenor roles in um, in L'Enfant et Sartelage, which was fabulous. The Ravel piece, I got to be a crazy old arithmetic book and do these crazy things. That really appealed to me. I was like, yes, this mm -hmm. is what, this is where I fit. And balance that with singing um, The Last Priorist in, in Dialogues of Carmelites, which is so, you know, standard repertoire now and so beautiful in French repertoire, which is sort of my area of uh, my great joy and love like Poulon songs and things like that. Um, I, I love doing recitals to tell stories. And I often do a lot of French music in my recitals. Um, and then vocally, I tend to match up 
with, I've mentioned, you know, Giuseppe Verdi or Bellini and things like that, with that bel canto repertoire and the Italianate repertoire, but also this French music that speaks to me, that is, it has a certain elegance. It's it's like not me. It's like it's like stepping into a fairy tale. You know, my first job at City Opera was as one of the sprites in Cendrillon. And it was in Cinderella, in Massenet's Cendrillon. And it was just such an unreal experience to just walk into a fairy tale. And I, I got to be honest, I still feel that way. Um, you walk into the stage door and you just can't believe you're there. Oh. You can't believe I, I'm some kid from the middle of nowhere, <laughs> honest to God. And, and, and not in a way that puts myself down, but I think I used to be like, oh, who the heck am I? And now it's a different experience. It's like, you know, who am I? I'm someone who is meant to be here because there's no other way. There's no other way Bridget Hogan works in New York City. You know, that was just meant to be. And, and um, yeah, I ended up at St. Joseph's. I'm now there four days a week. And that is because of the pandemic, quite honestly. Um, things started to shut down. I mean, we can't, it's like you can't do a podcast without mentioning the pandemic, right? It is what it is. It's here. Things started yeah. shutting down. And I was very fortunate to, um, you know, as the school had smaller classes, et cetera, et cetera, for a number of reasons, I was fortunate to work four days a week there and work with my private students and do uh, actually flourish during during the pandemic and i say that with great respect to people who suffered and and i i do feel for that but um uh i actually grew a lot and it was a great time for me and now that things are coming back yeah, as you mentioned this one woman show is sort of it happened at a time in my life when i don't know you go through something like even if it's not meant to be you grieve the loss of a relationship and i uh, my husband at the, my ex-husband at the time was, he was the love of my life. I wouldn't have married him, you know? And, and you, you sort of wonder how you got there and you sort of lose something you lose. You don't know if you're going to sing again. And this one woman show is about a woman who's had a career who loses her instrument very in a very public way. She loses her voice. And I don't know. I, I sort of said it then. And I mean it now too. I always feel like this character is like a real person that I carry around with me. And um, she's the character. I've played a lot of characters, but she's the character. Um, Peter Scoggard is the composer and he did write it for me years ago and we've changed it and grown it and all of these things. But and the, and the name of it is? The name is La Voix Perdue. Uh, it, it is in English, but the French turn of phrase um, it can mean the lost voice or it can mean the damned voice. It has sort of a double meaning. And um, it's very much that she goes through sort of the psychology of why she lost her voice and feeling guilty that people were starving while she was living this opulent lifestyle. And she comes from nothing. And how the, how the hell did she get there? And, um, you know, uh, she's she's not chosen to get married. She's living on her own. She's living in old photographs and also very charming and and flirting with this interviewer and doing all kinds of things. You know, she's still very much a diva, but she doesn't have the thing that made her that. She doesn't have her vehicle anymore, um, but she still has the spirit and the mind of an artist and. And it is an incredible thing. There's, I, it's self-directed. There's no director. Mm. Um, there's a few set pieces that takes three minutes to set up. And everything else is a monologue. It's me on a stage for almost an hour straight. So it's different endurance than singing. Uh, and, and she often sings snippets of what she sung. So snippets of Pagliacci's, snippets of Berg's Lulu, a lot of Kurt Weill, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, you know, Kurt Weill cabaret style type stuff. Mm. Uh, a lot of, wow. a lot of Puccini, a lot of, you know, all kind and Travia, the huge moment of La Traviata in the middle, 
which is, I would say more Bridget than, than her, because that's such a role for me. But, um, it, it's an interesting experience to live that life and to call upon to have digested it for so many years. It was great in 2015. It's a lot better now. I'm proud to tell you, you know, and it's, it's gone on in Ontario and it's gone on in, in, in Cleveland, in Cleveland, Ohio, and it's coming back to New York and it's, it's being made into a film now Mm. in, in Ontario this fall. And it's so different. It's flex of, you know, in the time that I, I have, incorporated so many women who I've known. Um, you know, my mother lost her vision uh, when I was a teenager. And so she didn't lose her voice, but she lost her eyes. Wow. And I mean, holy smokes, uh, that was an experience that I won't speak too much of because it's her experience. But um, it was an experience for us as a family. And a woman who's lost something like that and still is so strong and so empathetic and so caring. I'd be lying if I told you that there wasn't, you know, paintbrush strokes of my mother all over this thing. Mm. Um, and my grandmother who I borrow, whose mannerisms I borrow so much of, cause she was kind of a tough cigarette smoking, swearing <laughs> broad. And I, I, we all loved her and one of the biggest hearts around, but she took, I'll say it the way she would say it. She took no shit at all. And neither does this character. And and you, and you, uh, you grow so many, so many of, I mentioned Joan, you know, I mentioned Heidi, so many of my teachers, um, so many women I admire and have worked with stars that I have admired and looked at uh, have become a part of, of my life. Students I've taught, students I've taught um, have become a part of her. And, and so she's sort of a culmination of a lot of things. And you love this. Music is not a genre. There's every genre in the book, in this little opera. I know so it's, yeah. Show. Yeah. And it's, it's the most fun I've ever had. It is draining. Uh, it is taxing, but it is definitely what I like to do the best. It's where recital meets opera. And it is, um, it is storytelling. I joke, I say my dad's a professional communicator. So am I, because I never shut up. Yeah, well, you are. I, you are. I never stop talking. I mean, God. But I know, right? But um, but it, it to tell a story like that that is a little bit you and so much others. It is a place for a curiosity that I don't know. It, there's so much joy in it. There's so much joy in it. I I would say that. She, this woman who has no name in this, she's just the voice. Mm. She's just the lost voice. Mm. They call her the singer. And they just say she, her. She did this. She. Um, uh, You never hear the interviewer, by the way. She's just answering his questions just Mm. all over the place. And I love that she has no name because she's become a part of every other, you know, every other uh character that i do she's just sort of she's almost my voice she's my little lost voice and i think if we're being really honest as singers and so often we aren't but we all spend some time in the lost and found you know and i think the pandemic maybe made that a little clearer to some of us made it okay to talk about we all spend time in the lost and found we all have droughts where we don't work. I mean, I'm not super famous. We all have droughts where we don't work. Um, we all pivot and say, who are we? I never realized how much I valued being a teacher until people in the pandemic were just teaching to make money. And I was indignant. I was like, you've never taught before. Oh, sure. You know, you look down your nose at me <laughs> teaching. And now all of a sudden, you know, yeah, you're looking for yeah. students. Like, how dare you? You know, some of them were great teachers. Okay, sure. but some were just, I'm like, it's not something you do just because there's not something else to do. It's an art form. Mm-hmm. You do it because you love it or you, or do something else. Right. Go get a temp job somewhere. No, do something right. else. I, it's too hard, quite frankly. I love it, but like, it's too much work. It's, mm-hmm. it's emotional labor if you're going to be a teacher. You better find joy in that. You better find it all the time. Yeah. And, and blah, I'm off my soapbox about that. But that's my 
sort of career journey. Um, and, and like I said, like I, I, I had access to some of the best teachers in the world and I still do. Um, I continue my studies again. I spent some time technically in the lost and found. So <laughs> I went back to, um, to study more regularly. And I, I really enjoy, I've got to give her a shout out because Francesca Mondanaro is working with so many voices right now. And so many of my colleagues and, and she doesn't change anything. She's just using technique to help people discover their own beautiful sound. Mm. And um, the, the, that's, we are all studying forever. There's never going to be a time when you know, in classical music, when you don't study, when you don't see a coach, when you don't take a lesson, when you, you, you've got to be trying to get better um, and, and, and trying to be more you and more you and more you. And what else are you? And as you gain life experience, how do you put that into your voice, your color, your body? What else do you do? And we're all studying and, and it's teachers like her and I'm very proud that many of my colleagues study with me. Um, the responsibility is, um, is to be there and provide that safe, private place to discover the next great thing you're going to do. And she really provides that space and with the knowledge. It's not performative teaching. It's not, look at me, let me tell you about my marvelous career. It's, it's, you know, when you go into a teacher, and I say this as a private teacher who is very proud of where my students are now, you should not need a year to see a change. An hour should do. Hmm. You should walk out different than you walk in. And when that stops happening, it's time to change teachers because they know you so well that they now are having preconceived expectations of you Mm. and they're not reacting in the moment to you. And teaching is a very present teaching voice is a very present in the moment. You can't have a plan. Your plan is to exhale everything, get into a place when they come in and meet them right where they are. Great. Your plan is your student. And, you know, right? What if you screwed something up last week? I can't remember that. Oh, you always have trouble with this phrase. No, that was last week. Right. Yeah. Once you fix it, it's gone. Once there's a, and and there's, I I firmly believe that there's nothing to fix. There's nothing to fix in any of us. Oh, that's great. There's a lot to find. There's a lot to find. And there's nothing to fix. No human voice, no human voice is in need of repair. I, I can't, I won't even, I get angry at the idea of thinking, oh, well, there's so much to fix there. We got her or him on the right. Stop it. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. No teacher has ever made a student successful. They all deserve credit. They all deserve credit. But I can tell you, I have some very successful students and they did it themselves, every single one of them. They got themselves into the school. They did it. They lead the lesson. You go where they take you. And never had I been more aware of it than actually working with very little people. (laughs) Because you get no choice. Oh, the scariest thing in the world was walking into a kindergarten classroom for the first time. Oh, my word. They're very small. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. they're very small and uh yeah. it is not gonna go your way uh-uh. Uh-uh. you better be ready to ride that roller coaster and yeah. if you do you will have so much fun you will have so much fun with them they are so fun and bright and articulate and gifted and it's like going to the everything's food with me it's like going to the best buffet ever Ooh. you never know what you're gonna get and my job as a teacher is figuring out what their signature dis- dish- dishes that they bring. What do they bring to the potluck? Ooh. Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, if somebody makes the best mac and cheese, you best not try and make their mac and cheese. Because you'll never do it the way they no. do. Or you'll tell never them, make, you know, right? don't tell them to make soup because mac and cheese is what they are, you know? And that's what, and, and I had to learn that as an artist. 
Warren Jones said to me at the Manhattan School of Music, he said it to all of us and it was the most, it's the best advice. And he said, do what you do better than anybody else and keep doing it. And we all try to do everything. And the opera world's made up that way. You know, you, you apply for young artist programs, which by the way, are an abomination. You plot, you, you, you try out for no, young artist programs and you have to have one Mozart aria and one Italian aria and one modern piece and one this and one that. And I, I think we're moving away from that. Some voices should bring you Wagner, Verdi, a little uh, Berlioz for good measure. Mm-hmm. And... They don't do, and some people would have a whole list of modern music, stuff you've never even heard before Mm. uh, that was written for them. And that's what they would bring in. If you really want to hear who they are, that's what they would bring in to you or all Baroque music, Baroque specialists, you know, that, that all Handel and Bach and earlier music, so to speak. Um, You know, we we're taught that we're supposed to be good at everything. How do you even be, how, how do you even qualify good at? You just got to do what you do. <laughs> do what you do better than anyone else and keep doing it. Yeah. And that's how people get to know who you are. And that's how you end up with the right people in your circle because they appreciate what you, you're not constantly trying to be somebody else for somebody else. And then when I'm with this, and this is the same thing. Okay. I'm at St. Joseph's, so I'm going to wear my teacher. Yeah, okay, I dress differently. I mean, you know, Catholic school, yeah. you got to kind of dress code. But, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be teacher. I have to be Miss Hogan now. And I'm going to be, you know, Bridget the Cabaret performer and wear whatever because I used to sing with like big bands and do cabaret shows. And now, now I'm going to be opera Bridget and have big hair and a lot of makeup on and, you know, uh, that's so exhausting. Yeah. Miss Hogan is Bridget. And Bridget, the conductor, who's a smarty pants and a real smart ass, is still your diva. Don't ask me to go, okay, how does it go? And go to a coach and, and play soprano games. Cause I got news for you. There's like a thing about sopranos being dumb. None of them are. It's an act to get a job. None of them are. You think that those women with master's degrees in opera, Doctorates in opera and operatic performance are stupid. Nah, they're living into an expect. I went to school with girls who played dumb and worked for them too. Yeah. And, and they're living into an expectation, but it's exhausting. Yeah. Everybody stops playing the games. And that is the beautiful thing about where we are right now. And it's a beautiful thing about, I would say about where I have given you sort of the whole Bridget story it's a beautiful thing about the story. I never dreamt that I would be working with professional, like my colleagues on this level that are having difficulty with their voice. Good thing I had that voice care expert in undergrad. Thanks, Stephen Henriksen. I, you know, I work with a lot of bases. Two of my best teachers, Gary Relier and Stephen Henriksen, are bases. Hmm. I had to do some serious discovery of whether I was singing the right repertoire or not. I mean, I mentioned Heidi Skoke. She was a soprano. She's not a soprano. She's been through it, man. She had to deal with being the wrong voice type and singing the wrong stuff. Um, you know, I like pretty high spinny things. I fell in love with Joan Sutherland, who resurrected so much of the bel canto repertoire, only to study with Joan Patno Darnell, who is one of the leading experts on that repertoire. Mm. The luck, is it luck? I don't really believe in luck. But the good fortune that I've had... Um, you know, when you look back, I think that that is an artistic life. I think that is a success. And I, I've definitely, you know, hey, did I want to be a headliner at the Metropolitan Opera by now? You bet your ass. <laughs> Every, you bet I did. Are you kidding? You bet I did. I'm a terrible auditioner. I'm still learning how to have enough confidence to walk into being judged and, and have to meet someone else's expectations is really hard. And it's a part of and being neurodivergent is a part of that because, you know, the light can be wrong in the room. And how do I not hyper focus on that? Oh my God. Ugh. You want a story? I rambled. Yeah. Do you want a story? Go for it. The last audition I did was for a company that I adore. I won't say what company. It was for a company that I adore and I love. They're doing great music. They're tailor made for me. So, of course, they wanted to hear me. So, in I go. 
it's really hot. It's August. It's really hot. There's no air conditioning in the place. That's okay. I like the heat. I'm good. I've done all my stuff. I'm good. I'm going to sing this barber piece that I love. The pianist is great. I'm a little, I didn't do my best audition. I'll tell you why. I started with the barber and I could tell that the conductor, by the way, I have no way of knowing that this is true. She could have just been having a bad day. The conductor, who is one of my heroes. I, I don't know her person. I just adore her work. Hmm. And she was on the, she, she was hot probably. And by the way, I found out later expecting a baby at the time with her head down, she put her head down like this. And I was in the room and she put her head down like, oh crap, not, you know, not Anthony and Cleopatra. I hate this piece. Who knows if that's what she was thinking? It was probably like, oh my God, I'm so tired and I'm friggin' pregnant and I've been sitting in this room all day. Who knows what her, yeah. her thought was? After that, though, the onus is on me because my reaction to her just changed my entire my whole brain went into telling myself stories about how I was disappointing her and how I needed to win her back. And I admired this person so much. And I did not sing an audition for three months after that. I just couldn't mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. And that's, is that this woman's fault? No, she's making great art. She's doing great things. And she's, and she's a great mom, I'm sure. Um, and she's doing all of these things at once. She's fantastic. The responsibility is on me. To not adjust, I had, that's when I knew I had to take some, I had to go back into lessons. That technique should be there so that I can tell that story. I didn't let her down because she did this. I let her down because when she did this, I could not tell her a story anymore. Yeah, how you interpret. And, and that's when you know that it's all information. And that's when you know that it's time to go back and retool your own technique so that it doesn't get in the way. It's the grounding. It's time to reground. It's time to reconnect. And, and, you know, so we all, so it's not like, Oh, everything in my life is so joyful. It's not like that. And, you know, maybe you have regrets, but when you look back, you kind of have to say like, Hey, most of the time when I wake up in the morning, I wake up in, a state of joy. I don't like to use the word happy because it seems so trite. I mean joy. And even, and there's been some crappy days. I mean, teaching in a pandemic has not been cute. I've avoided that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I go to bed in joy too. And I just, the word, you know, sometimes you look at it, you go, gosh, you know, my friends that went into law school are, they could buy and sell me. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, come on. And, and so they should, they work hard, mm-hmm. but you look at it and you say, I just hear my dad do it till it's not fun anymore. And then stop. Yeah. And it's still fun. It's still fun to walk in and it's, I teach because it's fun. It's fun. Uh, we joked earlier for your audience's sake, uh, one of your sons is graduating from high school. And so he is moving on um, to pursue a musical life of his own. And I'm extremely proud, mm-hmm. but I will miss him terribly. Um, I, I often joke. I'm like, I don't have any kids, but I do have, <laughs> and I say their name, <laughs> uh, but I do have these two. Oh, yeah. Um, and, 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 and they're, they're, they're pretty good, you know, that if that's your consolation prize, you're doing okay. Um, and, <laughs> and the other is graduating grade eight. And we, we joke that we need to buy stock in Kleenex. Uh, okay. It's true. I'll be a mess, hmm. but there's joy in that. There's joy in that. Yep. You know, last year I watched someone said, tell me about your artistic life. And I said, I'd rather tell you about, I won't use his name either a young man who showed that he loved me when I first came to the school by putting my desks in order. He would organize my desks at the end of every class. That was his way. And he's a very particular young man. Hmm. He's now moved on to high school. And I never dreamt that seeing him walk out the door for the last time would 
do that oh, wow. to me. Wow. But then to turn around and sing something like Sensa Mama from Swara Angelica about the loss of a child, which is not like that. Mm. I don't have a child. I can't imagine losing a child. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't even, I can't go there. I can't go there and still sing. I would, I would absolutely lose my mind. Um, but I can think of that young man and how far he came and he did professional engagements as a voice soprano. And I'm, I'm so proud of him. Um, and he's pursuing other things. He, he's not going to be a musician. I knew that. Uh, but I, I'm so very proud of him and how far he's come. And I can't think of him, you know, without getting choked up. And that's just enough. That's just enough for me with my boundaries to own that role, to keep my technique grounded and to own that role using that piece of the reel. I'm not a method actor. I don't no. but using that, that piece of the reel, it's empathy. What is acting? Acting is empathy and, and understanding just that I will miss that I miss him. I haven't seen him. I mean, pandemic, I haven't seen him since. Um, I see his younger brother every day, his younger brothers. So he'll know who I'm talking about. Uh, And you probably do, but um, you know, and just, just that's one example or seeing dialogues with Carmelites. I mean, being prepared to lay down my life for a group of people being prepared to do that and understand that they are also going to pass away anyway, that I can't save their lives. I can't imagine that as, as a priorist, as a, I can't even imagine being a nun. I mean, come on. No. And, and I have taught at the time that I did that, um, was a young lady who's now pursuing a music degree and she did go on to LaGuardia after that. I just remember her class and thinking of her in particular and saying goodbye to these women that I, we were going to all go to the guillotine and I was going first. That's the way Carmelites goes. That's not to spoil the ending guys, but bring your tissues. Um, and all of a sudden those girls' names were in my head. You don't expect your teaching life to save you on stage. Mm. And there they were. They don't know. They don't know that, you know, that was the key to my success in that scene. Um, How are you willing to accept responsibility for a group of people and love them so much that you will die for them and that you will accept, because this is an ultra Catholic sort of ideal that, you know, ending your own life, they took a a vow of martyrdom. Ending your own life is, is, you know, there are repercussions in the afterlife for that. Right. And that I would be willing to take those on so that they could enjoy, you know, a more heavenly experience. Um, who would you do that for? Well, I don't have any children and I'm not a nun. And I don't really believe that people who, who, for whatever reason, through illness or whatever, have to end their, 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 I don't believe in that old school mentality. How do I access that? Well, I thought of my girls. You're, yeah, absolutely. I would. Absolutely. I would. I would do anything to give them, to get them that, or to bring them joy. And I didn't think I'd be that teacher. I really didn't. And that's, I guess that's the last thing. My life, my career has been surprise after surprise. Yeah. (laughs) And they've all been good. What I I find amazing is, uh, first of all, I think the idea of joy has always been important to me because you can be happy, you can be sad. There are days, there right. are moments of a day, there are whole periods in life where, where right. that may be the case. But what right. gets you through all of that is, is, I think, joy. Because joy is kind of a life essence that yeah. goes deeper and beyond what, you know, your immediate mood. It is, yeah. it is an, embrace, an embracing of, of just being alive. Right. No. Right. Peter Scoggard, who, who wrote La Voix Perdue, he and I have often said, hyper alive. Because Peter is a character in half. There's a guy you want to have on this show. He's fun. Oh, okay. um, you know, he's, Peter's not alive. He's hyper alive. Yeah. He doesn't go to Rome. He goes to Rome and sketches it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's, he's all in. 
all yes. the time. Yes. And I, I admire that so much. He's, he's all in and he yes. lives a life in joy because of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's it, right? There's the follow through. Uh, the old meditation, right? Om Sa, I am that. Mm. I am that. And you got to be all of it or you're only going to half-ass it, to be quite honest. I yep. am that. That goes right back to the what your, your dad has said to you, which is do it, do, do it till it's fun. I mean, I think it may seem trite in the way I'm sedating it, but I, I think one of the goals of life is to follow that spirit because the more you follow it, the more you you are, and there's no one else you can be but you. So yeah. your, your destiny, whatever it may be, may have completely different facts and figures and, and details from what other people think, from what you think, from what you thought, you know, 20 years before, 20 years later. But right. the but the point of it is you are following the you that's you because there is no one else in the world, past, present, future, who can be that. So the fulfillment of the part of the spirit of the world that is, you know, it, that is you is your, that's your mission. That's your whole life mission. And what you will find an honorific will change. I'll share with you on April 30th, I'm sitting at a table doing a read through of a, a new play called a new musical called Alone. That's special. Yes. I'm honored to be asked, but that my student wrote it. Yeah. Right. His name is John Ertman. Look for him guys. His early twenties is incredible tenor great performer but also you know he and his his collaborative um, partner joe i want to say joe methusic um have written this incredible piece and it's a labor of love and they've worked on it and i've i've seen it i've, I've watched his workshops i've been there i mean i i love this family i also teach his extremely talented younger sister who is now at at uh, nyu an operatic voice to watch um yeah. Catherine Ertman. and and the family is just incredible but this young man, I was there to support him. I wasn't there to perform. But when your worlds collide, think, listen, some great director could call me up. It's never going to be the honor that it is to have John call you up and say, hey, do you think you could step in and, and read this part? Oh, my God. Yeah. For me. First of all, I mean, your answer when any student calls you and says, do you think you could? Your answer is yes, before you know what it is, especially a kid like John. Your answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And 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 my answer should be yes to most things, because when I've said no, it's been out of fear. And that's baloney. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also, what is it you need me to do? Like, <laughs> yes, of course, I can do that for you. <laughs> um, but but to be, a pro- again, a part of the creative process of something and working with students is a creative process too. You're building something else and your mm-hmm. instrument is them. You know, it's like conducting. You're, you're not playing, they're playing. Your, your instrument is them, is the collective, is the communication, is the story. And, you know, to do that with John or it is, is really incredible or, you know, the day, and then the day after that, uh, I have like a, a large recital in, in, in downtown with some other really exquisite singers. I'm super happy to be a part of that. And it's, it's, um, it's totally, totally two different things. You know, I'm going to be singing like Meyer beer and like Verdi and Mozart and stuff on Saturday, but on Friday, this is musical theater world, a world that I was a part of as a young person, but, you know, opera became where I was, was home. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like a full circle. It's my teaching life and my musical theater training and my abilities as an actor and my ability to just say yes. Sometimes the chutzpah as yeah. some people call it, you know, like I, I got educated, almost overeducated, and I got scared of a lot and was more nervous and that introversion took over. But, you know, I'm still Jim Hogan's daughter. He'll do anything. You know, it's like, yeah, I can do that. I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents love the story of me working. I, I wasn't bilingual at the time in French. <laughs> and I wanted a summer job. I was in university. I needed money and I wanted a summer job. And so I worked for Pitney Bowes. <laughs> And they said, can you do bilingual cover 
customer service. And my answer was, I can get by. And, <laughs> and I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. I speak French now. <laughs> yes, I, did. I know that. And I'll tell you, none of my family members speak French. I mean, I help. I, I had it. And I'm, I'm Canadian. I grew up in French classes. But this is Canadian customer service, okay? Mm. So, yeah, I can get by in the U.S. in French, right? But, you know, at that time, I was young and... And these are people from Quebec, so they have their own slang. It's oh, not, you know, yeah. And and I got by. I'm sure there were some Quebecois people that were annoyed with Pitney Bowes because I was a little slower. But you get <laughs> by. And I remember doing a church gig as a conductor. And have you ever run a bell choir? And my answer was, well, no, but I can get by. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's a life of getting by. But you have to recognize that's how you recognize that you do actually have the skills. You are a good musician. Yes. You are a good linguist. You do have the brains. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And that's a pep talk that I give myself a lot because I am shy and I am nervous to make a mistake. And I do have that neurodivergence and that, um, you know, hyper focus sometimes. That is a part of how I learn. But it, it served me well. I mean, I learned fast because of it, but, um, you know, you have to be really careful about that. And it's, it's like, and we all have our stuff, I think. So I guess that's a long answer to who I am, but I'm trying to like, very good answer. Round the bases all at once. (laughs) Well, listen, I, I mean, what's funny is I have been looking, sometimes when I do these interviews, I look for uh, a nice comment you know, that, that the guest gives and say, Oh, that's a great ending. And you, you've given me about 30. So uh, I just decided at a certain point, you know what, it's going to be a two parter. I'm splitting this up into two hours. We're doing one hour and another hour. Oh, because I you, can't, knew, you knew I was going to talk too much. Enough. You I knew. <laughs> but it's great. And, and, and I was like, there's, there's no possible way I can stop this train, you know, not, and I don't mean that I couldn't, but so I, many that I didn't have want said to. that about me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we know, but, but having said that, this, this is where we are going to stop. And I will, I yeah. want to kind of sum this up by saying that um, I've gotten so many impressions from talking to you, but the, the, I think the way I'll say it is the the breadth and depth of your knowledge is surpassed only by the breadth and depth of your spirit. And you can't ask for more than that from a person and from a teacher. And it's been such a pleasure to talk to you for these two hours. It, it has, it has been a pleasure. Um, I, you know, you knew that I, I tend to talk too much. So Never um, too much. I, I do, I do sort of put that caveat out there, but it's been, it's been a pleasure to just, just share ideas about where this is going next. You know, the excitement and the joy of where the creative process is going next. And um, I love, as you know, I'm a huge fan of your work and of, of your work with your wife, Catherine, Mm. and, um, and, and all of, all of the things that you're putting out into this world. And I think it's, it's podcast by podcast and student by student and performance by performance yeah. that, that we gain ground and that we leave, we leave footprints. I think we leave footprints that other people walk in um, and we leave footprints and you're leaving footprints mm, thank you. Uh, that other people walk in and enjoy. And, um, and, you know, obviously those, those, uh, I think you've accomplished a great deal. I still have to say, I love this podcast, but the greatest gift you've given to me are, are your boys. Um, well, as you a can, teacher. Yeah. You know, but, uh, yeah. you know so I'm very right. proud of them. Should they hear this guys love you very much. Aww. But, uh, but you know, I am, um, I'm grateful to be able to come in and talk your ear off it's for a little been, while. <laughs> both of my ears have been in a state of joy this whole time. Uh, thank you again. And for everyone out there, I'm going to be putting links uh, below for the one woman show and for some other things. So please explore because there is a lot to explore with my guest for these uh, last two interview episodes of this season, 23 and 24. Uh, Sorry, Nick. Hogan, love it. You've solved the problem for me, actually. Thank you so much for being here and for talking to me. And thank you to everyone out there for listening and watching. As always, uh, I will talk to you next week.
Thanks, Nick. Bye, guys. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.